Hello and welcome to the inaugural Football Outsiders Coach Ranking Show of the 2022 season. Week one is in the books. I'm your host, Ian O'Connor, Senior Data Analyst with Football Outsiders. Joining me as he will every week is Vince Verheye, Football Outsiders Assistant Editor. Vince, I mentioned we're, we're through week one. All the games are in the books. Ended on a very high note for you out there in uh, Washington with that Seattle victory. What was going through your mind during that game? It was very, very exciting. Uh, some... some, some mixed emotions to put it charitably because frankly in the in, in the uh russell wilson Pete carroll divorce i tend to be on russell's side of things more often than not um but either way no matter which team i had been cheering for up to the final play i would have been outraged <laughs> and, and, and and furious at the terrible 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 process and much much worse decision making uh, that went into the kick of the gun, which I guess is what we're here to discuss today. Absolutely. We will get right into that. Yeah, Sunday or Monday night was a, a great game, I guess, for, depending on which side you were on. Uh, but there was a lot of excitement in there. Russ kind of trying to make the comeback, fall short through, not, I don't want to say no fault of his own, but no help from his head coach. You know, he had an opportunity where he probably could have. Uh, you know, some guys on that team uh, were expecting some bigger fantasy days, too. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy did get the touchdown, had a big day. Rashad Penny didn't really have a great game. But, you know, it's not all about your season-long fantasy. Play on Underdog Fantasy with us, and you can double your first deposit. You can get $100 for free with promo code OUTSIDERS. Even with the NFL best ball season over, which is what they are very very well known for, Underdog does have other user-friendly game formats to really spice up all the games. Try their Battle Royale, which is like a six-round um, best ball style draft. Simpler chances to win than you have with your traditional fantasy sports sites or you can try their pick'em games which i did on monday night only got i think two or three out of the five but you can wager on players chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines those are available even in states where traditional prop betting is not currently available underdog is the fastest growing fantasy site around join the fun over there at underdogfantasy.com or you can download the underdog app in the app store again promo code outsiders gets you a hundred dollars for free they'll double your first deposit up to 100 dollars with that promo code outsiders and don't forget about fo plus our premium uh, subscription with football outsiders where you can get access to premium articles stats betting picks fantasy projections each week a whole lot of great stuff on there you can get that at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe now let's get into the juicy content those those decisions we're talking about we'll get to the broncos in a minute nathaniel hackett We'll start with some good, though. Brian Dayball, that two-point conversion to win the game, basically, uh, for the Giants. Still had a chance for, for Tennessee to win. They did it a chance. The Giants had about a 4.5% greater win probability when kicking the extra point versus going for two. And now what kind of goes into that is a minute six left in the game. Tennessee still had one timeout left. There was plenty of time to get into field goal range, which they did, and they only needed the field goal when they missed it. But there's some different behavior that goes into when you're trailing versus tied so Vince what were you thinking when that decision when they made that decision to go for two instead of just go for the tie in most situations with a minute to go or whatever it was there was plenty of time for Tennessee mm -hmm. in most situations I would have said they should have kicked it for the tie because of what you just said if you kick it for the tie the other team is most likely going to settle for overtime and you can try to win there if you uh go for two and take the lead now you're forcing them to go for a field goal and beat you and you're forcing them to play aggressive which you, you typically don't want to do now in this case for the giants i thought that was their best chance to win because i did not trust them to get another scoring chance in overtime then and, and uh, I, I looked at the stats over and they were more even than i expected but the giants offense on sunday was built on big plays saquon barkley had a i think a 60 some yard run yeah. 
Uh, they had the, the, the long touchdown pass, 60-some yards, and, and Barkley also had a 33-yard run. And those three plays were something like 40% of their total yardage. Wow. So they were not a smooth operating machine all day. They got a couple of explosives that kept them in the game and gave them a chance to win it, and they took the chance and won, and then they got a little bit fortunate when Tennessee missed the field goal. So uh, you got to be lucky, but in their case, I think they were also smart. Yep, and you look at it too, you mentioned they're more aggressive. Tennessee would be if they're down teams in general. Uh, even especially with being favored in overtime in this case, you could also make the argument, I guess, that you know they've played to a tie so far. It's 50-50 in overtime. But Tennessee, by our model, would be favored in overtime. So, And even if they kick the PAT and tie it, the Giants are still underdogs, losing about one out of every three, three times from that point forward. We're really not super high on the Giants' offense, as you mentioned, like three plays made up about 47% of their offense and just our preseason projections. You know, Daniel Jones, he's in his fifth year now. I am among those who predicted the Giants to get the first pick in the draft. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I found myself okay. cheering against myself. is cheering for the underdog versus cheering for myself to be right. There's a very strong conflict there, but yeah. that's how it went down. Yeah, I may be apologizing uh, to a lot of people soon, too, because I was one of – I was surprised I was one of a few people, but to pick – Seattle to be the number one pick. They started off pretty well. Um, but yeah, the, the Giants, they just, their chances of converting that two point conversion to are likely below league average. And even after they did take the lead, they were still only 55% chance to win. And in the end, we know, and we've, we've kind of explained these a lot throughout the years, those two point conversions a lot of times come down to gut feeling. Like we know what happens before the game. We know it's Daniel Jones on offense. We know it's Derek Henry on offense for the Titans, Saquon Barkley, but we don't know what's happening in the game. And a lot of times when it comes down to this, like with John Harbaugh last year in the game against Green Bay, he knew he had no defense at all to stop right. Aaron Rodgers and was going for, for two to take the win, even though with Justin Tucker, we like the extra point better in that situation. But at this situation, you know, Brian Dable is trying to change the culture from what was there with Joe Judge before and build a winning culture. And I think that had a lot to play into that decision as well. Yeah, you, it's, it's important to remember you, you use the numbers, but you use them as a baseline. Like exactly. most numbers are just league average because you need a large sample size to study number. You can't study two numbers and draw any meaningful conclusions. So, so you, you take what most teams do and uh, then you say, well, if this is, this is it's close. Let's apply our circumstances to it. Maybe the other team's got a lineman out. I'm lineman out. Maybe we've got a lineman out. Yep. Maybe uh, I don't know. You've noticed some tendency that they, they, they can exploit to get this extra two yards. So um, you, I don't think you should ever just live and die by the numbers but you, you you start with that as your baseline and then apply your specific circumstances to them. And that's one thing I think a lot of people don't understand especially if, about the analytics community. I think they just look at the numbers and that's it. And, and that's not what we do. Like you said, we, we also understand, like we admit, you know, the numbers say going for the extra point was probably the better decision, but we completely understand aren't going to fault Brian Dable for going for it because it is more, just like you said, it's more than just, going by the numbers you go kind of add that to some common sense and intuition as well right so now we'll, we'll move on to the more exciting part and Vince you put out a tweet on Monday night saying this seems like a good time to mention that Ian O'Connor and I will be hosting the Football Outsiders Coach Rankings podcast this Wednesday yeah. if Nathaniel yeah. Hackett is not number 32 I'm going to be very upset now We'll say he's not number 32, but that's only because 21 coaches faced non-obvious, what we call non-obvious fourth down decisions that aren't a minute left down by 14. 
But I get what you meant, and he is 21st out of 21. So he okay, is well, that's something. Place, and that's exactly what you All right, I'm going to make an executive decision here. I'm going to uh, pull some experience rank. I've been, I've been with the company a little longer. Uh, the unofficial week one coach rankings. There's a 31-way tie for first. Spots mm-hmm. 2 through 31 are then blank. Uh, number 32, you get maybe uh, 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 Nick Saban. Uh, then you start going down the list, and you get to your – Urban Meyer and Bobby Petrino, and then, 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 then uh, everyone in the everyone in the Big Twelve, uh, a couple of various Madden vets, and then somewhere down below all of those, uh, you have Nathaniel Hackett. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And this is mostly due to the very end, but and we'll, we'll talk about this more. But they had they had problems. They did not look like a professional outfit for the majority of that game. Um, but we'll get into detail. I know if you're listening to the show, you already know the gist of what happened. But they had a fourth and five. Uh, I don't forget the forty-six or whatever, just across midfield. Yep. Um, Seattle forty-six. Was that? See at the Seattle forty-six. That's right. The Seattle forty-six. Yes, yes. Uh, about a minute to go, and the clock running, and all three timeouts. And as you all know, they opted to let the time run down, call a timeout, and kick the sixty-four-yard field goal to, or to attempt a sixty-four-yard field goal for the win. So there's so much to discuss here and break this down. Now, as I mentioned, they look sloppy and disorganized all night long. And they appear like they were trying to run a play. And then the very last second, Russell Wilson turned to the ref and called timeout. But it's very clear if you watch the whole thing in detail, and I've watched it a few times just trying to comprehend what happened. Once the third down play uh, was, was tackled in bounds, bringing up fourth and five, Denver from the get-go was saying, we're kicking this field goal from here right now. Because the clock's running down, they line up for a play. Maybe they're just hoping Seattle would jump and get, yeah. you know, hand them five more yards, which is huge in that situation. Even if even if it's a if it was a long five, it would have been a first down. There's a big big difference between a 59 yard field goal and a 64. Huge difference. Yeah. So, but the clock is running and running and running and running, and people were saying, I, I, I saw I saw some people suggest this was all Wilson's fault because again he was disorganized. They had a couple of delay games. They had problems with play clock yeah. all night. And that's not wrong, but coaches are also allowed to call timeouts. And I know this, and I know Nathaniel Hackett knows this, because in the first half, I watched Nathaniel Hackett call a timeout to kick a field goal. Yeah. So this, once they got in range of the 64-yarder, that was the plan. That was not circumstance. That was not faith. That was not desperation. That was what they intended to do. Now, why is this a terrible idea? How long is this show going to be? Uh, as we all all discussed, right. <laughs> as we've all discussed, there have been two. One and two 64-yard kicks made in the history of the NFL. Justin Tucker set the record last year at a dome, and I, I believe the other 64-yarder was kicked, in fact, in Denver, the Mile High City. And Justin Tucker's was off the crossbar to go in. Off the crossbar, really- yes. And, uh, and only after Baltimore converted a fourth and 20. Yeah. It was an incredibly lucky win for the best of the past. Um, all right, so there have been two of those kicks made ever. One is in a dome. I, I'm pretty sure the other is in Denver, which is a giant high-altitude city. And I'm wondering how much that played into Hackett's decision. Because, as we all know, balls go farther in Denver. You, we see this in football. They're, they, they, they're near, the lead, near the lead in punting every year. Uh, a lot of long field goals are kicked there. And, of course, we also see it in baseball because the Rockies – hit and allow more home runs at home than they do on the road 
almost every year. Now you go to Seattle. Seattle Stadium is not a mile high. Seattle Stadium is basically sea level. It's basically on the sea. The ocean is basically right there. And uh, it, was, it was a warm night, but it, 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 it's, it's very, it, the air here is, is it's humid. It's moist. The balls don't travel far. And I checked this on uh, ESPN just to make sure I wasn't going crazy. They play baseball in the building right next door to the football stadium. Yep. They call it T-Mobile Park now. And that T-Mobile has a negative home run factor for like five of the past six years. Wow. So when balls go in the air in Seattle, they stop and drop straight down. Yeah. This is bad for home runs. This is very bad for field goals. The longest field goal in the history of that building in two decades in that building is 56. It was Dan Bailey with the Cowboys from like 10 years ago. So uh, uh, <laughs> the plan for Denver was to break that record by 24 feet. <laughs> so it didn't work. Yep. And here we are. And then for the record, uh, there's some real quick research here while you were doing your excellent ad read, by the way. That was very slick, very, very polished. Uh, two field goals in the history of the National Football League of uh, 64 yards and more. There were 29 conversions on fourth and five in the NFL last year alone. So I know which way I would have gone. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something, too. I know he came out, I think it was yesterday, Nathaniel Hackett came out and said, obviously, he'd do it differently. And that it was their plan. I think McManus said, if they can get to the forty-six, he can kick it. And I, to be fair, one thing I will will say that it, the way that I saw it, the angle on TV, it looked like he had the distance on both. The first one where Denver called or uh, they called the timeout, I think he was way off. The second one was close, but still, it doesn't make it a good decision. That's the thing we always try and try and make clear is just because even if he would have made the field goal, yes, they'd have won, yes. does not make that the right decision even if that he makes it one out of 20 times and the one time you kick it is, yeah. is the one time he makes it. But it was really surprising, too, coming from Matt LaFleur's system. Uh, LaFleur was first in our coach rankings back-to-back -back years, last year and the year before. And in that system, it, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see, especially learning from this mistake, first game as a head coach, for him to be more aggressive from where he's come from and just learning from this. But it was a tough one to make in the first game. Yeah, not, not, not the start you're looking for, memorable. But uh, the good news is there's nowhere to go but up from here. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we don't have to, uh, you know, he doesn't have to completely harp on the uh, bad because he did have a promising start, had a fourth and goal go from the one, was the right decision, increased their win probability. But over 5%, that's pretty common these days. I think it was fourth and goal from the one, one of those mm -hmm. that they fumbled. Pretty, yep. You don't see many coaches kick it there, but, you know, we still do see it sometimes and we hammer them for it. But started off well, went downhill, the pressure was on late, and, and he folded. Ended up giving up more than twice the win probability on fourth down decisions alone than any other coach in week one. Around wow. like 29%, I think it was. I had it um, here earlier. 23.6% is what he gave up on fourth down decisions alone. So a rough start. He gained 5.3 on the one, but still over 18%, 17, 18% lost is not a good start. But like you said, nowhere to go but up from here. So it, and if you were watching that game or following us on Twitter, you would have seen after the fact, too. That's something we've got. Brian Knowles was running the model live and uh, in contact with Aaron. Aaron and Brian both put that out. But you also may have seen that in our Discord as well. We've got that going during the games on Sundays, on Monday night, on Thursday night. So don't forget to join us there where you can catch some of these numbers live. We'll always have them on the show for the big decisions uh, after the fact. But don't forget to go there and then the FO Plus uh, subscription as well gets you access to some premium articles that will cover some of these decisions as well as 
plenty of other NFL uh, stories and analytics as well. So now going to stick with this game. But we're going to go to the opposite sideline. Something I noticed early on and was very surprised about this was wondering if that was actually Pete Carroll on the sideline or maybe someone in a Pete Carroll costume coming out, throwing the ball, facing a fourth and one at the Denver seven, choosing to go for it. I thought he was going to go up there, try and get him to jump, call a timeout, kick a field goal like he's done because Pete Carroll has not been aggressive, notoriously conservative. He's 31st in our fourth down uh, rankings or fourth down decision-making metric last year, 28th in 2020 and 31st in 2019. So not good at all here over the last five, six years. Has Pete Carroll turned over a new leaf or do you think this was more a product of his opponent and the fact we all know that that Seattle you got, wanted to beat Russell Wilson, a lot of boos from the fans do you think Carroll keeps this going forward, or is this kind of a one-off thing that one of those we see every once in a while? So I don't have the numbers for this in front of me, but my impression just from watching these fans, uh, watching these games for the Seahawks play is that Carroll is very, very aggressive, but he's aggressive in the sense that he loves to punt. <laughs> so it's more <laughs> I mean that he loves punting but um so it, that's more punting on fourth and one from the 40 for example that's a Pete Carroll decision yep. he has been I, I like I said I don't have the numbers here but I feel like he has been reasonably aggressive on fourth and one in the red zone that kind of thing okay. uh he'll go over the touchdown instead of the field goal because you know if it, if uh, he did fail on that fourth and one, in fact, because Geno slipped on the, on the sneak. But he failed, but he left Denver with bad field position, which is what he loves to do. So in Carroll's mind, there's virtually no downside to going for it down at the end of the field. It's going for yeah. it near midfield, where he absolutely will not will not do that kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, I don't think this is that out of character for him. It was, it was maybe more aggressive than uh, he usually would. I think part of it, I, I want to say that was Seattle's second drive and, you know, before Denver got their defense together in the, the second half, they they were all out of sorts. There were mistakes left and right. So I, that probably played a part in his decision too. Um, so is this a new Pete Carroll? I don't think so. And the fact that the play failed, if anything, is only going to make him more conservative. Uh, absolutely. And now you mentioned those midfield fourth downs that he definitely does not go for. Someone who does go for those and did a lot last year and was really hammered for it is Brandon Staley. Uh, in that same division with the the Broncos. Extremely aggressive last season, finished first in our fourth down decision-making metric, gained almost a half a win on the season overall in total fourth down uh, decisions. Went forward on a fourth and one this past week at the Las Vegas 28 late in the second quarter. Came up short, but it's still a good as it. He really he carried that forward. That's something we expect to see from him, I think. I, I don't think he's going to come off of that. One quarter earlier, though, he did have a really bad punt on – Fourth and one at midfield. Uh, I think it was at their own 49 or the Vegas 49 anyway, right there at midfield, which cost them four and a half percent in win probability. Not something you'd expect from him. Again, made up for it later. But coming into this game on Thursday, we know the Thursday night football game uh, between the Chiefs and, and Chargers is going to be a great one between the lines. No Keenan Allen. That hurts the Chargers a little bit, but still should be a fantastic game. We've got a great coaching matchup as well between Andy Reid and Brandon Staley. I mean, Andy Reid has finished fourth, second, and sixth in our last three coach rankings. Uh, I mentioned Brandon Staley was number one in the fourth down decision-making metric last week. So going to be a really good matchup there. But is there anything specific you're looking for from the Chargers against Mahomes? We saw what Arizona did last week. That did not work. Um, what are you looking for between between the two coaches in this one? Well, Arizona's strategy against Mahomes was ridiculous. Uh, I think I saw a stat they blitzed on more than half the plays. Don't blitz Pat Patrick Mahomes, everyone. Just don't do it. 
he'll eat you alive. It's it's I ridiculous. I think I saw they played single high on like 24 of his 39 pass attempts. Like it was. Yeah, the, the, the first time he had been blitzed on more than half the plays of his career. And that's ridiculous because he eats blitzes alive. He's yep. when in 2017, which is the last year Alex Smith was quarterback in Kansas City, the Chiefs were 17th in DVOA against the blitz. They've been first or second every year since. Wow. And they're still very, very good against non-blitzes too, by the way, but the gap is, is still significant. He, he gets better when you blitz him every year without fail. And, and this is, it's funny because last year, that was the, the early part of the year when he was struggling with turnovers and the, the Chiefs were struggling with turnovers. The, the, the story going around was, is the cover two Patrick Mahomes kryptonite, which, which is ridiculous because he does well against that too. And, and you know, every other team, every other quarterback has kind of similar numbers because usually when teams are playing conservative, it's because they're way ahead. But mm-hmm. uh, but the fact is, he does much better against blitzes than against zones or against uh, even just, you know, cover, cover two shells. So right. you, you need to take away the big play from Patrick Mahomes. You want to keep him in the pocket, keep guys in front of you and make your tackles. That That's how you beat Mahomes and the Chiefs. Or that's, that's your best bet of beating Mahomes and the Chiefs, I should say, because a lot of teams have tried that and still lost. But that's the best thing for for uh, the Chargers to do. Now, the good news, the good news for the Chargers is uh, Derwin James probably won't get a sack for the second week in a row because, again, no blitz, no blitzing, stay back. But uh, they have a front four that shouldn't need to blitz uh, yeah. to, to, to pressure opposing quarterbacks. Khalil, Khalil Mack in his Chargers debut had three sacks. Uh, uh, Joey Bosa chipped him in the second half. So let those guys carry your defense. Let them carry the load. Everyone else drop back and do damage control and uh, just keep the game close and hope Herbert can win it at the end. Yeah, they with something that uh, remember from the Almanac this year in the Chargers chapter, they spent a lot of money, um, a lot of their resources on that pass defense. You know, their kryptonite last year was the run defense. Uh, brought in Khalil Mack. They didn't really make a ton of other additions. Like Sebastian Joseph Day came in, but a lot of their resources went towards the secondary. Um, and this yeah. is one of those games where they're going to going to really be tested early in the season uh, as it gets well, that that, I don't know if JC Jackson is expected to be back. Um, I know he didn't play last week though. I'm pretty sure he's out for a couple weeks still. Uh, okay, he, I that. If he's out or even if he's playing, but still probably not hundred percent, that's even more reason. You don't want to be playing man coverage. Uh, <laughs> it's all the more reason to, 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 to take a deep breath and uh, you know, like I say, play damage control. Yeah. So definitely going to be a good one though. That last year, um, the Chargers pulled out that one in week two on an aggressive decision from Brandon Staley. It was like a fourth and seven or fourth and eight. Passed up a field goal to tie it late in the game. Uh, chose to go for it. Ended up converting. That was a decision I remember we actually did not like. We liked the chance, the field goal, just because it was such a, it was a long fourth down. Um, got a chance to tie it there. They were pretty far from the end zone, but still within a reasonable field goal range. But it paid off for the the Chargers last year. They won it and then lost that thriller in overtime there in, in mid-December. So going to be a great one. Two great coaches. We know Andy Reid is aggressive uh, when he needs to be, especially on fourth downs. And Brandon Staley mentioned how good he was. So really can't wait for that one Thursday night. It get kicking the week off with a really great matchup between two. Yeah. Uh, one coach that's been really good for a long time and another one up and coming who had a really great year last year. Yeah, it is, it is a great matchup. Usually week one, of course, you know, traditionally is the Super Bowl winner in their first big game. Um, but then typically then the schedule for Thursday nights has really dropped off. So yeah. this is a big, big game with exciting superstars and high stakes for week two. It's a great matchup for Thursday night. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah, that's something we were talking about. Uh, I think it was off the call earlier uh, the other day, how 
Um, the, the Monday and Thursday night games have been so bad recently, and they've been called out for it now with Amazon paying a lot of money for yeah. Thursday nights. Um, <laughs> Troy Aikman and Joe Buck going to Monday. Maybe we're actually going to be treated to some good Thursday night games, and this is a good one. Good one Monday night ratings. Mon- Monday night ratings were off the charts, so, uh, so far so good. I did enjoy Troy Aikman in his first game on ESPN. I, I can't tell you the details, but I don't know if it was mechanical issues or just the process, uh, process of things going, but there were some changes to how he was used to doing business. And it was very clear he was not comfortable and pretty grumpy about the whole thing going in. Yeah, I was actually on the uh, the Manning cast. I got onto that one last year and kind of stuck with it. It was funny. That reminds me of a – I saw the tweet. I think ESPN put out that Peyton, speaking of Nathaniel Hackett's fourth down, signaled for timeout or said timeout 62 times before Nathaniel Hackett <laughs> and the Broncos finally I, called it. I, 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 I typically watch the Manning cast. I wanted to see what the – uh, ESPN show was like, and honestly, just yeah. it, just it's Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on ESPN. What do you expect? Yeah, it's not my favorite clip, my favorite clip from the end of that game. Everyone was talking about Peyton and the timeout signaling and calling, and he's trying to figure out what to do. But it's it, it's Peyton who, of course, won the Super Bowl at Denver, mm-hmm. and their guest is Shannon Sharp, who won a pair of Super Bowls at Denver, and they're trying to process what's going on. And like all of us, we're just confused as hell. And Peyton softly mutters, "They're going to kick it now." And Shannon Sharp at the top of his lungs just shouts, kick what? <laughs> and, well, they, they kicked it. They, they, they did, in fact, it. kick what is what they did. <laughs> the thing, Hackett, you were mentioning, you know, the, the kicks in Denver must have. He, he knew he was coaching for Denver, but forgot he wasn't in Denver, I guess. I honestly think that's part of the process. Like, he watched this guy kick in practice. and thought, man, this guy's got the lay of a god, and I trust him in any anywhere, and didn't take it's not new it's not like i started playing in, in football in denver two years ago but he didn't take weather effects and park effects and stadium effects into account and then it caught him off guard I, I honestly think that's part of that's part of what went down yeah a- absolutely and again that was our worst decision of the week coming from there there were some other bad decisions we won't just hate on uh on nathaniel hackett today again nowhere to go but up for him but lovey smith is a guy who's been around a while he had another one or had one of his own that was pretty controversial. People people on him, I, I don't think I talked about as enough as much as it should have. Choosing to punt from midfield, 20 seconds left in overtime. It's a 4.5% a drop in win probability by choosing to do that. He's pretty much saying, hey, I'm okay with a tie. It was right around midfield instead of staying aggressive and going, trying to win the game, just saying, hey, I'm going to punt it, play for a tie. And we, we see that occasionally, especially in overtime. Coaches kind of tense up a little bit. I guess not super surprising from Lovey Smith, but still when a Texans team you're not expected to win, you come in the game as an underdog, you've got to go for those and try and win that game. I'm going to have more to say to this, say on this later in our in the coaching match this week too, but Houston built, I, I think it was a 20 to three lead mm-hmm. and uh, essentially stopped playing football at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and their, their offense went ultra conservative, did nothing the rest of the game. And like you say, he was, uh not even trying to win uh let's let, let's get out of this game with a tie and and that's what happened um and hey he's in first place so yeah. um yeah um it's bad but yeah i can i can see i can see both sides of it you, you know this is a young team trying to, to let we've we've got the tie in hand let's not get greedy right let, let, let's yeah. Let, let, let's this is a young team that's trying to work hard to accomplish something they've accomplished something a tie is accomplishing something everyone a tie is accomplishing something you came in here you didn't get beat and you you, you know they let a better team off the ropes maybe but, yeah. but the, they, they went they i think it was in indianapolis wasn't it 
Uh, Either way, they win the game. They win the game and 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 fought to a stalemate, and that's an accomplishment. You can you have something you can build off of. So I understand that. Um, and the the other idea of it is we don't expect Houston to be very good. They had nothing to lose. They may as well have been aggressive, but he wasn't. Yeah. And to to be fair to your point, you know, not expected to be good. Uh, I don't think this went into what Levy Smith w- was uh, thinking, but a win potentially hurts their draft stock in the end. Um, I mean, yeah. Needing a, you know, potentially needing a quarterback with a lot of other teams. Um, I can't imagine he would, would pull the, uh, or at least what the I don't, I don't think that would end his decision making, but it, 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 you're right. <laughs> yeah. In the end, it could end up helping. A lot of times those ties hurt at the end of the season. This one could end up helping them. But a team that we know is not going to, or probably not going to be, uh, are probably going to be better than not very good this year is the Vikings and first year head coach, Kevin O'Connell did the opposite or uh, sorry, did not do the opposite. that was with Nathaniel Hackett. First year coaches making some mistakes, fourth and two field goal from the green Bay five yard line. They're up seven to three, just really dominating, you know, even from the, from the get go Packers fan. And just, that was not a fun game uh, for some reason, decided not to cover Justin Jefferson at all. Uh, it, it's not like he came out of nowhere uh, as a rookie this year, but Choosing to kick the field goal there is a little surprising. They took the delay a game. I don't remember if that was on purpose. Um, I know sometimes we see teams try and go up like they're going to draw them off sides, take a delay a game when you're that close on a field goal anyway, but then choosing to kick the field goal anyway. But th- we see a lot of those, if it's not fourth and one, those fourth and twos where we expect them to go for it. A lot of times coaches don't when they're that close to the end zone. Yeah, I, I thought they fired Mike Zimmer. I thought we were going to get a new and aggressive coach in Minnesota. Um, I didn't – watch much of the game but you know in the circumstances it's still early it's still very much a football game and yeah. uh i i put up a twitter poll about the biggest upset of the week i didn't realize minnesota was actually favored in that game um people mm-hmm. are, are more down on green bay than yeah. than i was but apparently they were right so yeah, minnesota was my pick to overachieve their their fo projection and i picked yeah. them to win the division as well i think green, so green bay to go to the super bowl so so far i'm just covering myself in glory in week one um but, actually yeah. I, green bay was my super bowl pick as well in there I, even though i thought minnesota won the division i did pick green bay i think they get it together but the week one was not good no no um yeah the, the, you, you'd like to see a team get more aggressive there but i i, I will say this he, he was already ahead um yeah. if, if you're going to be conservative be conservative when you're protecting a lead don't be conservative when you're trying to catch up but you know it is what it is he, he kicked the field goal yeah and Ended up winning the game. We'll get to uh, – he had a, another decision, a good decision we'll get to. Just want to talk about one more bad decision or error we have from this week, which is actually was one of the more surprising ones when I was going back through all the, the data yesterday and today. John Harbaugh choosing to kick, choosing to punt from four, fourth and one at midfield against the Jets. I know we're pretty high on the Jets this year. They were originally projected top ten, I believe. Um, after their week one performance, their Dave Metric is now down to like 13 or four. The defense, yes. Yes, now okay. down to like 13 or 14, but tied at zero with the, you've got Lamar Jackson. I know they were missing J.K. Dobbins, but still have uh, a, a ton of talent there on the offense. And it's John Harbaugh. He, he's all been known as one of the more aggressive coaches, won our Coach of the Year award in that 2019 season where Lamar was MVP. Again, this is early. There's a lot of game to play. Still expecting to win that game. But fourth and one at midfield is a, a tough one for me to, to see John Harbaugh kicking on. All right, I'm going to defend Harbaugh on this one. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier about how the numbers are a baseline and you need to adjust them for your specific circumstances. Yep. John Harbaugh's specific circumstances were Joe Flacco. Yeah. Joe Flacco is not going to drive 
the length of the field and score on you. It's it's twenty twenty two, and yep. and the the Jets are in a bad spot. <laughs> it's just, um, and, and I don't know honestly how much better they're gonna be with Zach Wilson. To be, to be perfectly honest with you, but um, yeah, th- th- this was one where listen, we're better than these guys. Mm-hmm. We don't need to take a single gamble. We can just play it totally safe. Play very very timid, but in the end. Our superior talent will beat theirs handily. And in the end, that's what happened. So, no, I'm, I'm with Coach on that one. I also would have punted and just waited. Yep. So playing devil's advocate on that, though. So you've got Baltimore, superior talent. You go for it. You've got a really good chance of getting it. You don't get it. Joe Flacco might might go 50 yards to score, or you might hold him, hold him to a field goal. In the end, you're still going to win, right? Most, most likely. Sure. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a win-win scenario. I was just, I was just about to say, you really, it can't go wrong either way. But um, just wanted to play that devil, devil's advocate side of it there too, because it is a fourth and one with Lamar. And that's always very, very tempting. But uh, yeah. I, I am not swayed. I also would have punted and just beaten Joe Flacco. Yep. That would have been early in the game. Point. It's definitely defensible. We'll see. I imagine late in the game, if it was close, he would not have. If it was the fourth quarter, I would have gone for it. If, if it was still, I think it was. I think it was tied at that point, or one yep. one score tied, game, obviously. Tied, yes. no score. It was early. Yes, it was tied in the fourth quarter. I would have gone for it. If tied in the first. No, no, no. We're just gonna, we're just gonna win later. We don't have to win right now. We can win at the end. Absolutely, and I agree. I, and Harbaugh would have gone for it. I would think nine times out of 10 in the fourth quarter in a, in a close game there. So we won't fault him too much. It was just, it was a little surprising, but we definitely can see both of us do understand the the reasoning there of him to, to play it safe, at least in the beginning first game. So, but now we'll look at some coaches that did make some good decisions this week. Nick Sirianni chose to go for it fourth and one from the Detroit 40. This was our best fourth down call of the week. They were up one, up three with only a minute nine left in the game after Detroit made that furious comeback, cut it to 38-35. Could have gone with a long field goal in the dome there to make it a six-point game. We hate when they do that because a touchdown still beats you. He could have punted to try and pin them deep and make them go the length of the field to win or make them still get 60 yards uh, just to get a, a field goal to tie it, leaving it with just a minute nine left. Sirianni, though, made the choice to go for it. He was the second best rookie coach in our coach rankings overall last year and in fourth down decision-making. This was a really good call. It's good to see him go aggressive instead of uh, take a chance on Detroit continuing their their second-half uh, comeback and, and win that game or tie it and get them to overtime there. Yeah, and, you know, I keep going back to circumstances, and the Eagles, you know, the, the Ravens' circumstances were Joe Flacco. The Eagles' circumstances are Jalen Hurts and the guy who runs – as much as any quarterback, you know, other than rookie Lamar Jackson, who's ever seen, I think he had 16 carries in that game. Yep. Um, then let, let all quarterbacks 17, 90 yards. Yeah, let, let all quarterbacks in rushing DR and and that drive, you know, I, I was kind of watching at the corner of my eye because even as close as it was, I trusted Philly to finish it off. But they got the ball. I, I want to say it was almost four minutes to go, like 350 something, and they never gave it back and they never threw a pass. And they just ran and ran and ran. They converted third downs. And as you noted here, they converted a fourth down. Uh, and that was it. And, you know, as, as, as much as teams need to build around the pass and stopping the pass, and that's how you win games in 2022, that's how, that's the most important thing in winning games in 2022, it is nice to see someone just out-physical the other team. Just like, you know, watching Nebraska run the, wish, run the wishbone in the 70s. Just, we're going to run all over you. You can't stop us, and we're going to take our ball. We're going to go home with the win. 
And that's, yeah. that's, that's a fun kind of football to watch when it's working. Yeah. Like I said, that's exactly what they did. He had a, a good one earlier in the game, too. Uh, fourth and goal at the one. Again, that's when we talk about coaches. Pretty obvious. We do still see some field goals there, but going for it, they're down seven. Again, Jalen Hurts, what, had 10 rushing touchdowns last year. Um, AJ, the guy that can get it done at the goal line. They've got A.J. Brown now. Like, if they ever have a fourth and goal at the one, I imagine Sirianni is going for that every time, unless it's into the first half, late in the game, you know, they're tied. Field goal to win it in those obvious situations. Um, but still, he had our top two, uh, set the top two calls of the week on fourth downs from Sirianni. So continuing that forward from last year and his aggressiveness, which we love to see. Again, against it, it, I would still say, I think we all would agree Detroit is an inferior opponent. They are going to be better. They played tough in a lot of their games last year. But those are ones um, where he knew you said you just take the ball, out muscle, you get the first down, do what we have to do to win the game. And we just, you love to see it. Yeah, Dan Campbell's Lions are like the most entertaining bad team. Yes. Because because they play like an underdog. And they're, they're, there was a, he tried to surprise onside kick in this game because mm-hmm. he knew he was playing from behind and needed to take some gambles. And, uh, and, and they're feisty and they fell behind. They rallied and they had a chance to force one stop and get the ball back with a chance to take the lead. And they just couldn't get it done because they're still a bad team. But yeah. God, they're fun to watch. <laughs> they did the exact same thing week one last year against San Francisco. Came out, got down big, ended up coming back and going for two, I think, at the end of the game and covered the covered the spread, lost by like seven, but covered. Mm-hmm. And they, they had a game against uh, uh, the Rams, uh, you know, mm-hmm. of course, were eventually Super Bowl champions of a much better team. And, and they knew it. They played like it. There was an onside kick. There was multiple fake punts. Um, so he's, yeah. He's, uh, so, so like I say, there, there, there's no more fun, bad team to watch. And plus they are better than last year. De- DeAndre Swift had the 50 yeah. yarder that, you know, set up a touchdown to put them ahead. Um, these the explosive players there. I'm Ross and Brown's exciting. There, there's, uh, there, there's players to watch here who, who are fun. Yeah. Aiden Hutchinson there too. Aiden uh, Hutchinson. Yeah. I think had a sack in his first game. Is that or had a sack uh, early on in that one? I think. I'd have to check, which I can't. Yeah, could be wrong, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of excitement and we'll be a much better team there. Uh, still probably won't compete for the division there in the NFC North with Green Bay or Minnesota. But yeah, much, just fun to watch. And, and those are the kind of teams that pretty much everyone cheers for unless you're playing against them. And then it's just annoying. But staying <laughs> in that division, we mentioned Kevin O'Connell did have that bad call. We disagreed with you. He did also have a good call, a fourth and one at the Green Bay five on the opening possession. Early on, this is a 5% increase in win probability. That's a lot to see on an opening possession. Made the decision to go for it, and they scored a touchdown on the play. So really, that's to to me kind of a a set-the-tone kind of thing as well, especially a new coach coming in with a good team. A lot of people are high on Minnesota this year to go all the way down the field in like six minutes and then just you know get a field goal out of that. Um, you, you'd love to come away with the points, but him saying, you know, we're going to go for it, one yard to go, and end up scoring the touchdown – uh, you really love to see as a Vikings fan. Like you said, too, Mike Zimmer's no longer there. Probably would have taken the field goal there if it's Mike Zimmer. <laughs> it's really, really weird that he went for it on fourth and one of the five and then shortly thereafter kicked it on fourth and two at the five. You know, one yard made that much of a difference in his decision-making. Um, and I guess – I guess that one yard did make that much of a difference in the decision yeah. making. It's having maybe having the lead or being, you know, the opening possession versus they had the lead on the second one. They were up seven three, I think it was, and to make it yeah. a seven point game early. But yeah, it's it, we and you see that a lot, don't you? Where coaches they do one thing and then later on the same game they do the opposite. That, that's a very Mike Tomlin thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. Not so much last year, but the, the, a year or two ago, he had a season where 
every game he would you know vacillate from one drive to the next on whether he was going to be aggressive on fourth downs or not and you, you never knew what he was going to do and just like you scratching your head and i don't know if anyone ever figured out what his process was and and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't that's the nature of being aggressive and you know sometimes being conservative is the right call uh, or, or at least it works out better but um it, there, there was no pattern to it there's no rhyme or reason to it which is it feels like it should be concerning because it feels like the coach doesn't have a plan, but maybe he knows something we don't. Maybe Mike Tomlin knew something we didn't then, and maybe Kevin O'Connell knew something about this Green Bay defense that that, that we don't, and and he trusted trusted them to get one yard and didn't trust his offense to get two. Yeah, and you mentioned Mike Tomlin kind of going back and forth within games. That's something that we noticed. It was either last year or the year before with Andy Reid. You know, he was has been this aggressive coach. Uh, especially being in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. But we saw in a couple games on like the first drive or the second drive, they'd get, they'd get down to a fourth and goal at the two uh, or fourth and one at the two or the three, and he'd take, kick the field goal, go for the easy points. Uh, not guaranteed points, but the easier points. And then later on when it mattered, he would go for it when he had to. It's almost like you said with John Harbaugh where he knows we're better than you are. I'm going to take a field goal here, make come in handy later, and I know in the long run we're going to beat you. Um, and it seemed like that's the way Andy Reid played it. Like, again, it was either last year or two years ago, but in a similar way, uh, maybe that's maybe Tomlin was thinking the same thing. I don't know. I, it, it, <laughs> I knew the answer. Um, I don't know what I would have done if I knew the answer, but I don't know the answer. <laughs> we don't, but we can only speculate, and uh, that's what we do. But we do have the numbers, and again, that Kevin O'Connell uh, plus five point two percent in win probability. So good on him that scored the touchdown. Obviously, giving them even more win probability after the play. And then there's one more, uh, just one like Zach Taylor, fourth and one at the Pittsburgh 35. Um, this is one that I think you could see a lot of coaches go either way. There's only a minute 17 left in the second quarter. They're down by 14 at this point. And a lot of times, I think, you know, from games that I watched over the last few years as I'm running this model live at, through every single game, watching, trying to catch every single fourth down I could uh, with the Edge Sports model, could have kicked the field goal just to to get some points before the half and make it 17 to six instead of 17 to three, still a long field goal, reasonable for Evan McPherson, but he went for it. They got it. They still ended up getting a field goal, but gave themselves the opportunity for a touchdown, which really is the big thing with a lot of these fourth downs in these medium field goal ranges. Like, yes, you can get the points in there. You're a fairly good likelihood of making the kick, but it's the chance to get a touchdown and underest people underestimating their chances of converting on that fourth down to then go on and get into to score a touchdown. Yeah, the weirdest part of that is that they were down by two touchdowns. Mm -hmm. uh, you would think if ever there was a time to, 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 you know, need seven points, that would be it. And, and on the other hand, much as I said, the Ravens' circumstances were Joe Flacco, the Bengals' circumstances were Mitchell Trubisky. And yep. even though their quarterback and, and their offense had made more mistakes than Trubisky and the Steelers, Steelers up to that point, you could reasonably expect the Bengals to have a better offense over the rest of the game. And in fact, that's exactly what happened mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, uh, he hit this field goal and came back and was in position to win twice at the end. Uh, but Evan McPherson missed a pair of kicks in large part because they had uh, at that point in the game, a backup long snapper. I don't know if they had a backup long snapper going into the game. Uh, but if you watch those two kicks, they got the kicks off, but the snaps are not good. Uh, Ace Ventura would have been very unhappy. Uh, but the laces in on one of those kicks, but also the snaps are, you know, the, the holder has to almost stand up to catch the ball and bring it back down to the ground. So 
Anyway, that was uh, in overtime, the, the high snap where they snapped it on, they kicked it on third down in case something like that happens. And instead of just falling on it and getting a chance to kick it again, they you know, chose to, he, he put it down, you know, in the heat of the moment, but still moment, you know. put it down and, and let him kick it and it didn't work out. But yeah, but as, as this fourth and one in the end, but, uh, um, I, I, I can see both sides of this one, honestly. Um, but being down 14 points at that point, I, I, I pretty sure I would have gone for it. Well, they, uh, on this one, he, he did go for it on this one. They converted and then ended up having to I'm, just getting a field goal before the half. Sorry. I misunderstood. But so, yeah, okay, so you, I, I would have done what he did. But yeah, you agree. You agree with exactly what he did. Way to go, Zach. And that's Zach Taylor has been a little hit or miss with his aggressiveness over the last couple of years. I remember the, the San Francisco game, both he and Kyle Shanahan last year had some fourth and shorts where they kicked field goals where we would have liked to see them go for it. But in the when it really, really matters, it seems like, he makes the right decision um, more often than not knowing. Like you said, they've got a, a really good offense, some really good receivers. Joe Burrow, he's going to put his trust in those guys like we ask some other teams to do when they don't. So we'll, moving on now to our last segment, we're going to look ahead now. Instead of just looking back, we want to look ahead at some of our best coaching matchups we're most looking forward to in week two. Vince, I guess I'll go ahead and I'll let you start with yours. I know you alluded to it earlier uh earlier in the show so i'll let you move on with that so i'm looking at this houston texans at denver broncos game in week two we mentioned earlier how uh, conservative houston was after they build their lead you know uh, uh 20 to 3 lead and then here's their drives the rest of the game first one was a punt in which they ran 12 plays to only gain 58 yards they lost a fumble and they punted and punted and punted and punted and uh, we talked about the last one already and how conservative that one in particular was. So he needs to show that when his team has a chance to win, that he can finish the job. He can kind of, you know, drive that nail in the coffin and, and, and get that done. We've already talked about Nathaniel Hackett's end of game decision, but we have not talked much about what happened in the prior 59 minutes, which was this team, you know, it's been discussed that they sat most of their stars in the preseason, and this looked like a team that was playing a preseason game. They were totally disorganized. There were communication breakdowns. There were delay of game violations or, 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 or plays snapped right up against the play clock. Play clock. The defense had a ton of penalties. I, I think in the end it was seven first downs by penalty for the Seattle offense. The Denver just gave up uh, to, to Seattle. Uh, There's breakdowns in coverage. Seattle's biggest plays were when Denver just forgot the tight ends existed. And, hey, here's Will Disley with nobody within 20 yards. Here's – I've forgotten the other guy's name. Colby Parkinson uh, yeah. getting behind everybody. Colby Parkinson taking your team deep, everyone. Um, that's, uh, that, that, that's an issue. Now, the good news is the defense seemed to fix those up in the second half after halftime. Whatever adjustments they made were much better because no one's talking about this, but Seattle's offense died in the second half. <laughs> Nothing. Oh, yeah. um, so – this probably won't be a close game. I think Denver will win comfortably. They're uh, last I checked a nine and a half point favorite. Um, well, I, I, and I probably take them to cover that honestly, but both coaches here have a lot to prove. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle things. Yeah. See if uh, like we talked about Daniel Hackett learning from his mistakes in week one, uh, as far as the, the fourth down decision goes and, and coming out against the team, they should be, you know, the, the talk all week has been, you know, you paid, Russell Wilson, all this money taking the ball, you know, out of his hands. A similar thing we saw uh, with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay against the Bucks a couple of years ago. You know, trusting him, and and they should come out and win this game. But yeah, that 
that will be an interesting one. I think um, one that people are going to be looking at to see how Denver bounces back as well. Mine, I'm going to take, moving on, go to Indianapolis and Jacksonville. Stick with a, a couple AFC South teams. For me, looking at the two coaches, you got Frank Reich and you've got Doug Peterson. They were together for that Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Can't forget Indianapolis hasn't won at Jacksonville since 2014. We all know what happened in week 18 last year. That performance by Carson Wentz uh, was not good at all. Kept them out of the playoffs eventually. So we know they're both aggressive too. Sometimes Reich is faulted a little bit for being too aggressive. Um, but Indianapolis, you know, is going to want to come out and get a win. Jacksonville had a chance to beat Washington last week. Probably should have. They had a um, – they did – Doug Peterson did go for it on a fourth and goal in the first half. Were not able to convert that. Um, had had some turnovers. Really hurt themselves a lot. But I think this will be a pretty close game. Jacksonville, a much improved team. I know Aaron picked it – or not picked them, but said, you know, it's not crazy to see them win. I think he said seven, eight, nine games in one of those shows in the preseason. And mm-hmm. Indianapolis just really – underperformed you know they came I think they you said Houston was up Indianapolis came back they had a good comeback but Matt Ryan really kind of underwhelmed in his debut Mike Mike Tanier said this on our show on Monday um, really just not impressed with his debut gonna have to do a lot better so see how both of those teams come out and we know this year at least Jacksonville will be prepared for this game as opposed to last year the preparation that Urban Meyer had for them he's gone so gonna see with these two coaches again they know each other well they're both very aggressive and I'm excited to see how that one plays out we are uh, experimenting starting this week, actually, with staff uh, picks, uh, mm-hmm. favorite uh, favorite bet, prop bets, that sort of thing. And uh, one of them is upset watch. Which team do you think is most likely to pull off a significant upset this week? And I haven't put the whole thing together yet. I'm, yet. I'm actually going to go work on that right now. But skimming it this morning, Jacksonville, <clears throat> excuse me, I think they're a four-point underdog. Uh, but Jacksonville winning straight up is a very popular choice among the Football Outsider staff. Yeah, I, I noticed that as well. I was just putting mine in not too long ago, and Jackson, uh, someone made a comment like, hey, we're all picking the same game, it looks like. But yeah, Jacksonville popular is a lot, again, a lot better than they were last year. Trevor Lawrence yeah. kind of getting a reset, I think, with the new coaching staff. I I, I picked Jacksonville as my team to beat their DBOA projection, and I, I, I did watch the Washington game pretty closely. I, I also felt that they should have won. They beat themselves many, many mistakes in, in scoring range, and they should have scored a lot more points. They, they definitely left points in the field. Um, and, and mostly I'm just convinced they, they have a, a great addition by subtraction because they no longer have the worst coach any of us has ever seen. Yes. Including Nathaniel Hackett. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No urban Meyer. So I mentioned the, the chance, the upset pick there. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow. Um, Tom Strachan and I will have our weekly show on they're going out tomorrow that covers every single game. We look at the betting perspective, the fantasy perspective, daily fantasy as well. That'll go out. And again, Football Outsiders, our FO Plus subscription, you can get access to the NFL picks as well as uh, picks against the spread and picks straight up based on confidence, based on our model uh, with an FO Plus subscription. Again, at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. And then don't forget about that underdog promo as well, where you can get a free $100. That's right. They will give you up to $100 deposit match on your deposit with promo code OUTSIDERS. Thank you for joining us for our first Coach Ranking show. We'll be here again every week on Wednesday. Uh, Vince coming to us in the morning for him, I think. Uh, but I'll be here uh, in the afternoon, and we'll be looking at some of the biggest decisions like we did today, good and bad, 
uh, from the week before and then previewing those matchups that we're most looking forward to in the coming week. Vince, thank you for joining me and uh, enjoy the game. We're already one day away from week two. That's crazy, isn't it? Uh, Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure.